0: Good morning. good morning, and I hope you're having a great day. Are you having a great day so far? Yeah. That's that's a good thing, right? Yeah. The thing that I'm loving out there is the sun, it's a little overcast. I, I don't know where you are watching this online, but it's a little overcast here today, which means it's not a 115 temperature in, or, or index, heat indexed or whatever, I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I get in my car these days now, and it's like everything is just hot to the touch because that's... Just been that type of type of season right now. It's good to have you here. My name is Dorsey Atkinson. I'm the pastor here at Life Spring Church, which has two campuses: one here that you're on right now, the Wesley Campus, and the other's across town at our Langston Church campus. And uh, today we, we're in the midst of a message series where we're talking about various parables that Jesus gave to talk in, in He gave to people in conversation with them to talk to them about how to live their life. Together with one another, how to go out and to live in this world that is so difficult. Before we talk about that, I want to tell you a little story about something you may or may not know about me. I was um, this is years ago. I went to college at one time, and um, and I was the first person in my family for a couple of generations to go to college, to a major college, to like a um, a four year college, and all and um, and um, I had went, I'll be honest with you, I went to play baseball. I went to play at a, at a Division I baseball school at North Carolina State and did not do the team, did not make the team, and, 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 and I lost all direction. I lost all direction, and I had some scholarships, some little scholarships from school, none athletic, but just little scholarships there, but I was on mostly financial aid. And when I wasn't, didn't have sports to motivate me, uh, I just sort of lost my way, and I began to flunk. I just well, the way, the reason I flunked is I quit going to class. I just didn't care, but I was still up there, and I was still in college, away from home. And you know that was really a good thing for me to be away from home and to be out. And uh, but I was in a big city, experiencing new things. But I was dependent on the money that people had supplied me with, not just the scholarships or the financial aid, but my family were helping to fund me. And back in that day, that was right when these uh, teller machines were coming out. You you guys know ATMs now pretty easily and you can get money anywhere. Back in that day that was a new thing that was going on and so I would always go and check my, my, my little teller machine. I'd go push my card in there and I'd have like $4.25. I mean I, it was at that time you could take out a little bit of money and I was just hoping that mom and dad would put money in there and so I could get something to eat and it was a struggle but you know there was things I wasted money on. I, I would go play video games and do other things, and maybe go to uh, an event or something and spend money on something other than food, which we didn't have the money but to do food, but anyway, after failing and, and um, getting on academic probation, I lost all my financial aid, and then it became a burden on my family, who we were all struggling with our finances at home as well, and, and through that, um, I ended up going back to school and married. Now, and I'll tell you all that, to tell you this part about as I finished up and graduated and got a job, years later... I found out from my parents that there was times that when they were putting money into my checking account so that I could have food or whatever, that they really didn't have the money to do that. And my brother, who was a year younger than me, uh, had went to work in the factory, in the textile factory, and he was working a little bit above minimum wage. And they let me know that on one or two or maybe a couple occasions that my brother had given them money to put into my account so that I would have something to eat. Now, as an older brother, that's hard to accept it. Now, you, you accept money from your mom and daddy. You know what I'm saying? You waste your, you, my wife always said, you wasted your mom and daddy's money. But there became this realization that that my brother was funding me or was, was providing something for me. And, and at that point, it changed my attitude toward things. It changed my attitude toward just a lot of things in general, and, 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 and I began to come to this point of this position of where I am now. I can never repay my brother for what sacrifice he made on my behalf. Do you understand? Where I am today, what I do in this world today, any education I have that he did not get the opportunity to have, it comes because of his sacrifice, and I can never, ever repay that. Now, my wife has similar stories on her side of the family because we were both not well off economically. We always thought, I always thought we were middle class, and Jody has told me time and time again, we were lower class, Dorsey. We were just upper lower class or middle lower class. We were dirt poor. Okay, Well, maybe not dirt poor, but gravel road poor. Okay, We went all the way to the dirt. But um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong, but both she and I have stories in our past where people were generous to us or uh, forgave us of things that we owed them, that there's no way we could ever repay them back. And, 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 and at that point, in that stage, she became, we became married and we grew together as a couple. We began to share these stories and we began to just say there's just certain things. If they ask, it's theirs, if it's our last penny, because we can never give it back. We would, we've actually gone and taking personal loans to help other people out in our family that they don't know because they think we have money, but we don't, we just have a lot of debt. And, um, and we've done that to, because that's how that affected us. These things that people did on our behalf affected us, and it's caused us to be, or to work to be, a generous people. And, and now, there's more we can do, but the point is, this affected us so much. These things that people did on our behalf that we could never repay them for I guess you would say we're paying it forward, if you will, or we do it with someone else, any opportunity that we get. Now, Jesus was in a town one time, and he had a similar situation come up, and he wanted to teach on this, and the way that it comes about is he was in this town, and he had been talking and speaking to people, and a lot of people are going, well, is this guy really the Messiah? Is he the one that we're expecting to come back, the Savior, somebody that's going to do this? Is he a prophet? Is he going to be able to teach and uh, like a rabbi, like maybe he's a teacher? And so there's a lot of people trying to figure out who this Jesus was because he was different than everybody else. His teachings was different. When he spoke, people was like, man, I never heard it spoken that way. I never understood it that way. And, and so Jesus was in this area, and a Pharisee invited him to his Home to eat. Now, a Pharisee, that may be a strange word to you, but a Pharisee is a, it comes from a Hebrew and a Aramaic word that when it's translated, it means to set apart or separated from. The word, that's what the word means. It's, it's to separate from, one who is separated. And 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 this group or this Pharisee or this group of people that are called Pharisees, when they're more than one, they believed in. The written law (coughs) of that time, which would have been our Old Testament, they believed that was the way to live. That was the rule (coughs) that no matter how hard it was, that's what guided your life. And In fact, they believed that there was oral traditions, not just that were written down, but there were oral things that had been passed on from one generation to the other generation orally, that it's been spoken word and spoken laws of how to do things and how to treat people based on the interpretation of the scriptures. And one of the things that they had in their interpretation or understanding of these scriptures is that if you hang out with a sinner or you hang out with somebody that's unclean and you come in contact with somebody who's unclean or you hang out with people that are unclean, you become unclean. You become dirty. So the best thing to do if you're wanting to live a righteous life and you come around people who are unclean is to separate yourself from them, to distance yourself from them so that those things that they do or have done won't come on to you. And so this was the, 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 the people were being led by A a portion of the people are being led by this group called the Pharisees. (coughs) So, this Pharisee wanted to find out about Jesus. So, he invited him to his home. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, just very briefly, we're just going to talk about this. Get this picture in your mind. Maybe the table, it's not a table and chairs. You understand what I'm saying? Like in our culture, we have (coughs) chairs that um, you sit at a table. In their day and time, they had a table that was lower, and they reclined at the table, meaning what to you? When you hear that, what do you think about? Laying Laying back. Think about a picnic, okay? Think about going on a picnic somewhere and throwing out the blanket and sitting on the ground but having a small table about that side, size to set things on. But that's what was in their home. So they went there, and Jesus is reclining. He sort of, you know, sit back, you know, maybe you can't stretch your legs underneath the table. Does everybody get the picture of this? So just imagine that type of environment. And it says that a woman in that town, doesn't even name her name, doesn't give her name, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So this woman, who's a sinner, (coughs) finds out Jesus is at this Pharisee's house, this guy that's separated from the bad people, separated from those people that are like her, the unclean people. And so she comes with an alabaster jar of perfume, this expensive perfume. So she's coming with a purpose. I don't think you just carry around this huge, expensive perfume thing with you when you're going to something like it. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it was purposeful. She maybe had to go back to her house, get it, whatever. And she stood behind him. So it gives you a position of where she's at. Is she in front of Jesus or behind him? So he's at the table, maybe facing table. He's reclining. He's got his legs stretched out or whatever. She comes up behind him. And she stood behind him and began to weep. And she began to wet her feet, wet his feet with her tears. Now, I don't know if that was purposeful or if that was an accident, but tears, which usually tears come from what? Come from what? Water. I know that. But what causes tears to come out? Sadness or joy. It's an emotion. Would you agree with that? That emotions will bring you to tears many times. Or pain. That's not a, emo- you know, you get, smash your finger with a hammer. I've cried before. So pain or emotions will bring yourself to tears. And so she comes to tears, and those tears are dripping on his feet. And then she sees this, and she bends down and takes her hair. Philly, stand up just a minute, if you will, and show him your hair. And she takes her hair like this and kneels down, thank you, and kneels down, because I don't have that long of hair, and begins to wash his feet or wipe his feet. From the tears and wipe the dirt. So what's she wiping off? She's wiping the tears off, but what are the tears and the hair wiping off? Dirt? Mud? What, what nature? Emotions is what caused the tears, but what would she be wiping off of Jesus' feet? Dirt. They wore sandals. <coughs> Whatever is on his feet. You know what they had back then? They had camels and donkeys and sheep. Where do you think he stepped in coming around? Could have had all kinds of dirtiness on him, filthiness. You understand what I'm saying? Mud caked on there, and these tears are falling down, and she's wiping this off. And then after she wipes it off, she takes and it says that she pours, she wipes it with her hair, kisses them, and poured perfume on them. So now she's kissing his feet, and she's pouring this expensive perfume over his feet. Now, when this Pharisee who invited Jesus, saw this. Now, it's interesting, he said, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus, it's like, I invited you, but I didn't invite her. And this writer's making sure you know this is an uninvited guest. When this Pharisee invited, who invited Jesus saw him, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is. And that she is a, what's that word say up there? Say it again. She is a, that's what kind of woman she is. He would know this if he's a prophet, if he was who he claims to be. This had to be a confusing sight for this Pharisee. This Pharisee who went strictly by the letter of law, who, who distanced himself from people like that, who pointed at them and said, don't become like them, don't be like this, separate yourself, let's get away from these people who have this filth of the world on them, from their choices, or maybe it wasn't their choices, just actions. Whatever it is, got to stay away from them. And this woman shows up to his house. This sinner That's not only known to him, but known to everybody about what kind of woman she is. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a prostitute. I don't know what it is. But it's something that's obvious to everyone, or especially to him, that everyone knows what kind of woman this is. And a doggone prophet, a man of God, should definitely know that's not the type of people you should be associating with. This man, this Pharisee's got a name. His name is Simon. We'll learn in just a few moments and he notices the woman and he knows what she's doing and he doesn't even acknowledge that she's there he doesn't tell her to stop he doesn't tell her, he just she doesn't exist to him she's a nobody he treats her as if she doesn't even exist all because not she's a female but she's a sinner not because she's ugly or good-looking, it's because of what she's done or what's happened to her. It's because of the filth on her, the, 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 the stench of sin on her, if you would. And now she's touching Jesus. She's taking her uncleanness and she's touching Jesus and affecting this holy man. And not only is she touching him, She's crying and wetting his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. How filthy is that? This hair that to a Jewish person for a woman would adorn her. It is, in the scriptures it says it's about an adornment about her head. And she's taking this gift of God, this adornment, and she's washing his feet with it. And then, to add injury to insult. She's pouring a jar of not just a little dab of perfume. You know, you know I, I put a little clone on sometimes. And my kids say, Daddy, that ain't the way you do it. I thought you just went, <laughs> and, and, and it's not because you get in a car and it'll gag you. Okay, so I actually don't wear it anymore because I, I, I don't have a judgment of it. I thought it was this. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't put a dab on there. She puts the whole jar on his feet so that this smell goes throughout this small Middle Eastern house. Something's up and it's drawing everyone's attention to what's happening. And he's like, and what is Jesus doing when this is happening? The Pharisee says, I cannot believe that he's letting that happen. But Jesus, I want you to get this, Jesus is doing nothing. He doesn't tell her, stop. He's letting her do this. And this guy's going, if you were a prophet, if you were who you said you were, if you were who you think that you are, that you knew the scriptures and the laws and the rules and the regulation of what the Bible says or what the scriptures say, you wouldn't even let her touch you. See, he would have been adhering to the the scriptures that says, don't let her touch you or you're going to get her sins. In fact, he keeps thinking that Jesus shouldn't even be associating with him. And he begins to think this, but Jesus does notice her. He notices not only her, but I, Jesus notices Simon's thoughts. Now, how he does that, I don't know, <coughs> because he's divine, maybe, but he notices not just how. Simon's face is probably contorted by like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's. T- oh, oh man, I can't. Oh my gosh, I can't believe she's doing this. But he knows his thoughts, and he begins to see <coughs> how Simon thinks he's better than that woman. Maybe because Simon thinks he's better because he's a churchgoer. He sits in the pews on Sunday. He watches it online. He, he, he does a little devotional. Maybe Simon he, Simon thinks he's better than her because he hasn't done exactly what she's done. You understand what I'm saying? He may not have been a prostitute or he may not have done something that was seen as a sin. or Maybe his sins are not as big as hers, but he's not done what she's done. So whatever it is, Simon is standing in judgment, judging her and how he treats her. And he's got this attitude about it. And Jesus not only sees what the woman's doing, but he's seeing Simon. You know, Jesus sees us as well. God sees in us and everything that we do. He sees what we do and he sees how we do it. He sees the th- and hears the things that we say. But more importantly, he knows the motivation behind what we do. See, because the motivation is behind what he's doing. And so we go on in Luke chapter 7, Jesus starts to speak to Simon. At this point, nobody's talked. It's just this stuff being described, this environment's being described. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Now notice what Simon calls Jesus. What does he call him? Now, the questions that were coming was before that was like, if he's a prophet, then he would be doing this, correct? But now Simon no longer sees him as a prophet. He said, well, maybe he's a teacher. So he says, if he's teacher, then I'll respond to that. So he says, well, tell me, teacher. He said, Jesus tells this story. Two people, how many people? two he could have said how he could have said any number correct he could have said three could have said four could have said five could have said he said two people <coughs> owe a certain money lender and they owed one owed him 500 denarii now i don't know how much 500 is but i'm assuming it's a lot and the other owed him 50 denarii now i don't know what a denarii is and we can go back and research that about how much money that is but the point is one owed the other one ten times the amount that the other did. 500 versus 50. And neither one of them, the 500 person or the 50 person, had the money to pay the guy back that he loaned money to. Now, I want to stop right there. <coughs> when you borrow money, there's, there's, it's not just about the money you borrow, is it? You have to pay the money back, Correct. But there's something else when people lend you money that unless it's a really close family member or somebody really loves you, what else do you have to pay them back? <laughs> interest. Now, if I borrow 10 times the amount than another person, I owe back 10, 10 times the amount, right? But how much interest do I owe back? Probably 10 times the amount. With, you, you, you tracking with me? So it's not only does one owe one more, but would definitely owe him more interest. And so Jesus continued, he said, Neither one of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. What? I'm, 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 say that with me. What? Because that don't happen in these days, does it? They forgive him a 50 and 500. What? I don't believe. What? The interest, too? I can understand. Yeah, you're sitting there in the loan. Business. You're sitting there, whoa, way would we do this? We, I wouldn't have a job if I forgave everybody who come in there to get a loan from me. Not only the interest, but... Now, he says, he asks this question. Now, here's the question. He says, now, which one of them will love him more? Which one of those two people who owed him money, who would probably have owned them interest, which one of those two would love the man more for forgiving them of that debt? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose the one who had been forgiven a lot would have loved a lot. Why? Why why would you think he supposed that? Why would you say that? Somebody help me. Yes, Preston. So he owed more money. So why would you love him more? Why would you love, Huh? Because, so you're saying that your love for that person is based on the forgiveness that you received, right? It's not meaning that you're loving, you're not loving with the purpose of being forgiven, right? They didn't go up, because that'd be a bribe, wouldn't it? Or an exchange, I want to love you because I'm hoping you'll forgive me, right? That's not what happened in this story, you understand, you understand, Lindsay? It's not, I love you ahead of time, and I treat you differently ahead of time because I'm hoping that you forgive me. It is because that you forgave me of this great amount that I owed you that I love more, that I love you more. And he says, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. So Jesus says, good job, you got that one right. I always love to hear that. Didn't you love to hear that in school? I didn't have it happen often in my life. But it is nice to go, I got that one right, and then you don't raise your hand the rest of the class. I don't know about you. I get one right, I'm done. I'm I'm just, I'm sitting back. Ah, accolades, yes, I love it. He says, you judge correctly. Forgave the debts. You don't owe any more. I want you to just think about that. You're forgiven. You see, both of these people received grace, but one would be perceived as receiving more grace. Both received something for nothing, but one received more for his nothing. Both received a gift, but one would be considered a bigger gift. Both received something that neither one deserved. They had a contract, they had an agreement to return or to pay back this money, but both received something that neither one could deliver on or they could ever pay back. And the only one to be able to do that was the one who the debt was owed to. The only one that could forgive the debt was the one that was the money lender. Does that make sense? Your brother, your sister, your grandma, nobody else, they could forgive you of that debt, but you don't owe them that. It's the person you owe it to that's the one that can forgive you. That's the only one that can forgive you of those things. And he forgives both of them. And so all this is starting to soak in, and then Jesus continues. Then he, or Jesus, turned toward the woman. He said to Simon, that's where we find out his name, Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. That may not seem like a big deal for you, but in that day, in that culture, that would be like letting somebody come to your house and you not showing them the bathroom before dinner or showing them where the kitchen sink was before dinner where they could wash their hands before they eat. You just assume they're going to eat with dirty hands. You just assume that's not worried about you, are not that important. Figure it, on, figure it out on your own. Find your way on to the bathroom. Or what, you understand what I'm saying? Jesus had not been to this house. But in that day, in that culture, they washed the person's feet as a sign of honor. You know, clean up. Because it's because you're coming into my house. Some people, and some of you are in this room here, Chris Heigel, what do you do with your shoes when you come in your house? Come on, tell me. Who takes them off? Everybody takes them off. Come on, tell me now. I've been there. I love you. I said, it's okay. Everybody takes your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Leave them here. Don't track up the house. I mean, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not picking on her, but I'm like, that's the closest thing that I can think of. Some of you kick your shoes off at the back door. Some of them kick. Some, you understand what I'm saying? Their culture was to wash their feet. He said, you didn't even give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears. And not only that, she's wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. I want you to take out your message notes. Everybody take out your message notes. If you're online, you'll be able to see this image because Emmy will be able to put up on there so you can see that during this part. I don't know how she does it, but she'll be able to do that. This is an image of that. Doesn't mean it's exactly it, but it's an image. But I want you to get this picture in your mind. Look at the care that she's given to washing those feet. And you look at the expression on her face. I want you to look at how low you have to get to wash someone's feet who's on the ground. Women, can you even imagine using your hair to do something like that? Anybody, could you imagine how many tears it would take to wash away the things? And you see the empty jar there, which represents the. Perfume, the alabaster jar. And he said, you did not even put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, therefore means what he's going to say afterwards has something to do with this. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, I'm trying to get my mind around that. I tell you her many sins are, or have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and so Simon's thought is, who's touching me, yada, 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 and all this. I can't believe she's touching Jesus. I can't believe he's doing this. But here's what I, I want to come to. Her many sins. Put up that verse. Therefore, i tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Right? That's past tense, isn't it? Have been is past tense. As her great love has shown. That's past tense. So which came first? Do you think that her sins were forgiven because she washed his feet? Or do you think maybe she showed up with that alabaster jar because he had already forgiven her down the street? Because maybe he's, this is not the first time that he's met this woman. Maybe it is for the Pharisee who have seen her or whatever. Maybe he has seen her and Jesus had talked to her and maybe she sees Jesus as who he is and he has forgiven her sins. Maybe she sees he's the one that can forgive me the things I can't even forgive myself. Maybe he's the one that will let me be a human being again when everybody else wants me to be this object, to be something that they can look at as detestable. And Jesus sees me as a human being, as a person again, and restores my hope. And he doesn't hold all these things of my past against me. He's told me that I can be whole again maybe that's why she brought the jar out of her love. Like my brother who, who forgave me, or who did something for me, I could never repay. So it doesn't matter what it is he needs. It doesn't matter what, I'll do whatever I can to do whatever. I can't repay that for my wife and, and myself. There's people, we can't repay back what they've done for us. And so we take whatever we have, we take our hair and we take our tears and we take our jar and we come and out of love we come and we humble ourselves because we know that it wasn't 50 denarii that we were forgiven of it was 500 it was stuff that nobody could have forgiven us a person might give up 50 dollars for someone like us no one would give up 500 for us because they did and because Jesus did her expression is not of trying to earn forgiveness. Her expression is of being forgiven. And then Jesus affirms that in here and says, your sins are forgiven. See, Simon sees, if you look at Simon, Simon is proud and he's without emotions. And he's, 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 he believes he's better than you. He doesn't. He, he sees Jesus and he doesn't even think of himself being lower than Jesus, just being equal and doesn't even wash his feet, doesn't even treat him with the customary things of that time and doesn't anoint his head. But the girl, the woman, she sees him and she's humble. She's full of emotions that her tears shows and she cleanses the dirt and the feet stuff off her feet. And, and as I was preaching this at the other campus and it was coming to me this, I want you to, This is the image I had in my mind as she's crying. The tears hitting his feet. And and, and what the tears don't wash away, she takes and washes the dirt away. You, You with me? The filth is cleaned away, and it's. Where did it go? On her. On her, right? The filth of this stuff of the world on Jesus is on her. And what does she replace the filth with? Perfume. Jesus calls us an anointing and a covering. You know, Jesus cleanses our sins. Not with his tears, but with his blood. And that part of his blood that goes on to us and he washes it off of his life and with his teachings, and he washes it off to teach us and to cleanse us, and it goes on him. And then he anoints you in preparation for his Father, for heaven. And he says, you can be a person again. I'll take your crap. I'll take your stuff on me. I'll take the smell and the, the dirtiness of life that you can't get rid of, that you can't, and I'm going to take it on me. I'm going to forgive you. And I'll take that with me. And I'll bear your sins. And when you come before my Father, He's going to see you as I see you forgiven. Now, if that's the case, how should you be loving others in this world? How should you be expressing your love to God or to Jesus for what He's done for you? For the things that you know, that no one else knows, that you've already asked God for forgiveness for, and He's forgiven you. Maybe you struggle with forgiving yourself still but he's forgiven you. And what about the things that you haven't asked him for forgiveness because you think they're really small in comparison to that over there, but the fact is you're still being forgiven for them when you ask and being cleaned up from it. How would you love God or Jesus if that happened to you? And the question is, how would you love others? What would it look like if we quit looking at people and judging them on what they look like and the things that they've done or judging them on their past and judging them on their failures or judging them on their successes? And what if we just treated them like human beings and just loved them and took whatever it was we had, even if it's emotional, take what we have and help to bend down and humble ourselves and help clean them up not being afraid to touch them, not being afraid to talk to them, not being afraid to have a conversation with them, but to clean them up so that they might experience forgiveness and love. So your challenge this week is pretty simple. I want you to go this week, and I want you to do three things this week. I want you to reflect on And maybe write down on a list a few of the things that God has forgiven you for. Just write down a few of the things that God has forgiven you for. And what you may realize is that when I thought I was in the 50 denarii category, I was really in the 500. I want you to think and reflect on what areas or actions of your life right now still needs God's forgiveness. What areas of your life are still coating you or covering you with dirt? Because he is willing to clean you as well for that. To forgive you of those debts if you ask. And then the third thing is, when you've done those two things, would you go out and would you begin to love others as God has loved you? Would you give others another chance? Would you give others, would you forgive them? Would you extend to them some of the courtesies or just a amount of what you've been given? Not to earn God's love, not to earn God's forgiveness, but as a result of what God has forgiven you about. Because he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. Much. And if you are in this room and you can't love others and you struggle with loving people different than you, then maybe your struggle comes because you haven't totally been forgiven because you only see yourself being forgiven of a few things. As for me, I owe him a debt that I can never repay. I owe him eternal life. I can never repay him back for that. And for that, I'm going to love you and love others as he's loved me. May you have the courage and the strength to do that the same. Let us pray.